call the meeting to order. We have, it's hard to keep track, but I think we have quorum of executive committee um, here. Do we? Yes, we do. Um, and Supervisor Chenoweth had indicated to me that he would be absent for executive committee. First item on our agenda is consideration of minutes. Is there a motion on the minutes of the August 13th executive committee meeting? Moved by Di, moved by Dye, seconded by Rip. Is there discussion, amendments, corrections? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it and it is approved. Resolution 361, study and design of a crisis intervention team program for the Department of Human Services ACS division. Is there a motion on Resolution 361? Move. Yes. It as originally drafted or as amended by HHN, or can I choose? You can choose. Um, I just wasn't sure what was before us. And I thought it passed HHN unanimously as amended. So, so I'll move approval of the um, HHN amendments. Okay, of it as amended by HHN. Okay. So moved by Dye, seconded by Baird. Is there discussion on Resolution 361, Supervisor Baird? Um, I just wanted to say that um, the mental health work group for the jail um, talked a lot about CIT and a lot about the need for programs like this. Um, we finished our recommendations, and now they're not out yet, but our recommendations do not include the word CIT, but they include, some, they include implementing something, and they say, like the CIT model or this or that. So just want to say that moving this forward is in line with what a separate independent group also th thought should be done. Terrific. Is there further discussion? Seeing none on resolution 361 as amended by um, HH, uh, the, uh, the Health and Human Needs Committee. All those in favor say aye. aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it and resolution 361 as amended is approved. Resolution 109, authorizing acceptance of grant for Dane Arts DAMA training program. Is there a motion? Moved by Stubbs, seconded by Kolar. Is there discussion on Resolution 109? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it and Resolution 109 is approved. Resolution 199, county executive appointments. Is there a motion? Moved by Dye, seconded by Baird. Is there discussion on Resolution 199? All those in favor say aye. aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it, and Resolution 199 is approved. On Resolution 195, authorizing transfer of funds for Dane Arts, Dane Arts by local project. Is there a motion? Moved by Stubbs, seconded by Dye. Is there discussion on Resolution 195? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it, and Resolution 195 is approved. Under, we are now under item F, presentations. It's a presentation of the report and recommendations by the racial equity analysis of Dane County government by the Center for Social Inclusion and the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. And I just, I wanna preface this before I introduce our presenters um, that we, um, 
that we have been involved in a lot of work on racial equity, and this is one piece of it. Our work groups that we're working on um, that Supervisor Baird referenced um, are going to be coming forth with some recommendations on the specific to the jail and criminal justice, and we have those three work groups are a subcommittee of the Public Protection and Judiciary Committee, and we look forward to that. This particular piece deals with Dane County operations, and we're looking forward to hearing that. We've got we've been doing a lot of work. We um, have our social um, our ResJ team, racial equity and social justice leadership team, and the team with the county that um, Colleen has been doing work on, and appreciate her efforts on that. And this has been a long project, six-month project, um, that um, we have had <laughs> terrific staff support. Lisa McKinnon has done a lot of work on this, so I wanted to say thank you to her for all her work on this. So I'm going to introduce the presenters, um, Glenn Harris and Simran Noor, Noor from the Center for Social Inclusion and Julie Nelson from the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. And are you going to all present from one side and take it? Okay. Thank you, Supervisor Court. It's a pleasure to be here with you all, and um, we're going to do a brief uh, uh, introductions about who we are. Um, but I just wanted to start by saying thank you for the opportunity to present this report. Uh, the report itself, this analysis, is really unique nationally, and I think it speaks to the work that the county here has been doing over the last few years. Um, and I think it speaks to the real possibilities of addressing issues of race and equity, not only here in Dane County, but nationally, and what that means for you all's leadership. Um, this moment, I just have to say really quickly, that this moment is a profound moment for us um, as country. In the last year, race has been front and center, uh, whether we're thinking about the tragedy in Charleston, whether we're thinking about Ferguson, whether we're thinking about the marker that's happened in the last week around Katrina, or whether we're talking about um, Tony Robinson and the tragedy here locally, race is present and the work we have to do to get to equity is still ahead of us. And so I, again, just want to say thank you for the opportunity to talk about the report and thank you for the leadership that you all have shown in moving this set of issues. Briefly, my name is Glenn Harris, and I am president at the Center for Social Inclusion. I'm Julie Nelson, the director of the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. And Simran Noor, director of policy and strategy, also at the Center for Social Inclusion. And just to say a couple words very quickly about the Center for Social Inclusion. Uh, CSI is a national uh, policy advocacy organization. We've been around for 12 years. Uh, our mission is to catalyze community, government, and other institutions to dismantle structural racial inequity and to really think about how we get to policy change that benefits everyone. I will say just quickly, because uh, I do think it's important, we want to make sure that we leave you all enough time at the end for questions with us. Um, but my background, I've been with the Center for Social Inclusion as the president for the past year. Previously, I spent 10 years in the city of Seattle. Um, I have worked in government for well, well over a decade. 
Prior to that, I worked in community around issues of social justice and racial justice. And while at the City of Seattle, I managed the city's race and social justice initiative, which was the first of its kind in the country and now is going well over a decade into the work there. And Julie Nelson, uh, as I said, I'm the director of the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. And Dane County is actually a member of the Alliance and so have been really um, appreciative of the work that you all have been doing already on racial equity. Um, the GAIR, as we call it, using an, acron an acronym, is working on government across the country. So it's a national network of government working to advance racial equity and improve success for everyone. Uh, have a cohort of jurisdictions that are doing really deep and meaningful work. That's what you're a part of. And then we're also looking at this from an organizing perspective, that this should be the role of government. There should be more counties like Dane County having this type of conversation. So uh, just want to recognize, again, that you all are, are um, doing some, uh, taking some great steps in that regard. Uh, Glenn and I worked together at the City of Seattle. I was the director of the Seattle Office for civil rights. I worked for local government for 23 years. Did not imagine uh, working for local government for 23 years, but really uh, after a good number of years, really believed in the transformative power of government. The work on the Race Social Justice Initiative in the City of Seattle really um, was uh, not just about advancing racial equity, but also about the transformation of government. So we'll be echoing some of those themes around the role and the responsibility of government throughout the conversation today. And to give folks a sense of direction for the next 30 minutes or so, so um, we'll do just a few slides on setting context of race and racial inequity in Dane County. We'll review the, both the process that we went through as well as national best practice that help inform um, much of the process. And then we'll present uh, recommendations and key findings as well as next steps and would really like to leave a robust amount of time to have discussion and conversation. So just so folks have a sense of where we're going. So, so context setting. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is kind of some data points. I think folks are mostly very familiar with these data points, right? We know that people of color in Dane County um, have lower medium, median income. Uh, we know in particular poverty rates are striking for particularly black children, three of four, uh, 75 percent, right? Um, and, you know, an African-American resident is 97 times more likely to be incarcerated for a drug crime than a white resident here in Dane County. And to say um, that, you know, this is the context context of racial inequity, we also know that there are big gaps in the data that is available, um, particularly for Latino um, and Asian American populations. And so wanting to recognize that, uh, you know, anecdotally, we are aware that there are um, gaps for those communities as well. Um, and uh, I think throughout our recommendations, we echo the need for greater data. So. Next slide, please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I want to spend just a minute talking about the history of government in the United States. And want to be really clear that 
thinking back to the very foundation of government in the United States, that it was intentional through government policies, laws, practices that government that, that government created racial inequities, that it was explicit and it was intentional, that everything from laws around who could be a citizen to who could vote, who could own property, who was property, whose land was whose, where someone could live, all of those laws were intentional and explicit in creating racial inequities. Um, it's the history, you know, it's a, it's a fact and it's not sort of uh, share it just to, for us to be grounded in what our historical reality has been. Of course, uh, middle of the last century with the civil rights movement saw community organizing to put pressure on government and through that community organizing and community pressure had a lot of legislation passed that was incredibly powerful. So everything from the Civil Rights Act to the Fair Housing Act Voting Rights Act, legislation both at the national and local levels. And so we have seen some progress. What we have also seen, however, is that over the past 50 years, what has happened is that we have moved into era an era where much of our language has around race has been taken out of our laws. But what we see is the way in which, regardless of naming race, we have implicit bias um, and policies and practices that work better for white people than for people of color. And that is um, not always in intentionally done, but it is the way that um, those biases have been baked into institutions. So what we are seeing across the country is that the opportunity actually is for us to, at a really fundamental level, look at policies and practices that actively promote racial equity. Um, it really is the opportunity at hand right now. Uh, a, a Supervisor Corrigan mentioned it in the beginning. Um, the reality is, is that this, you all thinking about your role of Dane County government, that you have um, this report that we're talking about today is a point in time. You have previously had conversations about racial equity, and you will continue to. And so just like to acknowledge the reality that there's big pieces of work, that there's a leadership commitment to examining the impact of, ra of race and racial equity in the mid-2000s. You have also done things like defined equity and examined disparities. You've convened a race, race and, uh, racial equity and social justice uh, work group. That you've taken really concrete steps. And so our recommendations are set within that context. So I want to take just a second and, and lay out for you all what is in the analysis and recommendations. And so a couple things. One is current status of racial equity, which we've talked about. The other is key performance measures and community indicators. So as we thought about this work, it was essential. Let me say this a really simple way. We can't fix the problem unless we can measure it and track it. And so uh, part of what the report is designed to do is to give you all key indicators that are based on the information that we were able to gather internally and from the processes that, as Julie named, we know are already happening, to be able to come up with a set of priority actions and measurements that you all can track about whether or not you're making progress. Um, 
The other piece is that we, in addition to some short-term steps, we've also listed out some longer-term steps, sort of a phase one, phase two approach, recognizing that some of this work requires a little bit of time. Um, and I just would end again by saying measurement, measurement, measurement. The best practice nationally we've seen repeatedly is about where folks are actually tracking what's happening and reporting out an outcome. To give you all um, a bit of, uh, of a sense of what the process was, we ended up talking to a lot of folks internally. We were asked to do this as an internal review. And um, so we reviewed over 100 internal documents looking at uh, how the organization has addressed many issues related to race from workforce equity to uh, actually specific issue areas. Um, we did key stakeholder interviews with 32 folks. We conducted a, a survey with um, all county employees um, in which a third participated, really asking them about their perceptions and understanding of issues of race and equity. Um, and we met with the project strategic leadership and staff teams on several occasions. All of that led to the drafting of the report, and I just have to say really quickly, Thank you. It was incredible to have the opportunity to talk with staff, and I know that you as a board, I'm sure you're aware of this, but you have an incredible staff. Um, the, uh, the other piece that I would name is that as we went through the process, and you'll see this in the plan, our intention was not to come up with a laundry list of items that you could do or a simple base list of, of items that you could check off or, even worse, a report that you all would just be able to set on a shelf someplace and come back to later. It was to lay out both a process that was sustainable and to give you some key priorities to think about where to start. We did a review of best practices, and there's more detailed information in the full report. One thing that is sort of this slide right now is a big picture frame of how change happens within government. Uh, the three things, normalize, operationalize, and organize, will be baked into the recommendations that you'll, you'll hear more as we talk about the recommendations. So want to use that as an overall frame for a national best practice. Normalizing conversations about race is so critical. Uh, there are many places and environments where talking about race is, can be a difficult conversation. We do not need, believe that it needs to be difficult. And in fact, sometimes why there's tension uh, talking about race is because we don't have a shared understanding and we don't have common definitions. That we have found that in having a shared analysis, thinking about things like the differences between implicit bias and explicit bias and thinking about the differences between individual, institutional, structural racism, having a shared understanding with terminology is incredibly powerful for normalizing the conversation so that actually you can move on to talking about operationalizing and organizing. The other thing about normalizing, though, that I want to call out is the idea that we need to create greater urgency. That, in fact, what we have seen in some ways is that racial inequities have been sort of taken as the status quo, as if they are somehow the norm. And what we know is that that does not need to be the case. 
that we have actually seen examples of when change is a priority and we have urgency about it, then change can take place incredibly fast. So uh, with normalizing, having shared analysis and having urgency about the actions that you're going to take on. Under operationalize, what we uh, mean there is that we need to think about the breadth and depth of government decisions, not just in a few isolated areas, but across all departments and across hierarchy. So we have frontline staff, management, and elected officials who are thinking and working towards racial equity. Using a racial equity tool is a way to actually operationalize equity. And I'm going to share a little bit more about that in just a minute. The other part about operationalizing is data. And you all um, have seen reports previously where there's documentation of racial inequities. Um, we see them pretty routinely, whether they're in reports or headlines, that the reality that we have racial inequities across all indicators for success is not the, the point. The point is, what are we going to do with the data? So actually improving our data and using data to drive our actions and drive our strategies and then to track our progress, whether we're making a difference. The third part here is organizing. And when I talked about uh, change in the United States, I referenced the fact that community organizing is one of the ways in which change has taken place. What we see now within government is, is that we are using similar models of organizing to create change within government. And that means we need to be intentional about the teams of staff working on different topics. Um, across departments and across hierarchy, that we have to build that infrastructure so that staff are ready and prepared to use tools. The other part of it is working in partnership with others, that even if government was doing everything it could and should be doing, we'd still have racial inequity in the community. So for us to have the most impact in the community, have to work in partnership across institutions and with communities. So again, these three categories, normalize, operationalize, organize, are going to be baked into the recommendations that, you, that we present to you. And I'll say that you'll see some things like uh, convene a team or use data, um, that really the reason why you see that repetition is that that is about the transformation of government, that we can't keep the same status quo and expect to get different outcomes. We have to be able to organize and use tools in order for us to get to different outcomes. Uh, mentioned a racial equity tool. Racial equity tool is also baked into different recommendations. And all a racial equity tool is is a process of asking questions and engaging stakeholders to assess the decisions that are being made. Uh, uh, reference the fact that we used to work for, Glenn and I used to work for the city of Seattle. Seattle has been using a racial equity tool for about eight years now. Started using it during the budget process and now use it uh, for all policy and programmatic decisions. It is the insertion of key questions in the decision-making process. So thinking about when you're making a decision, how does that given decision impact racial equity? Does it perpetuate the status quo or does it actually help to advance racial equity? Thinking about unintended consequences is another key part of it. 
As you all know, government decisions are complex, and oftentimes uh, they're not simple answers, and we might be um, going down a path of making a certain decision, and it may well be the decision that needs to be made, but there's unintended consequences from a racial equity perspective. And so being explicit in thinking about what those consequences are actually positions you to come up with strategies to mitigate the impact of unintended consequences. Measuring impact. We want to be really clear that we're focused, really laser focused on measuring impact at two different levels. And so across the country, not only in Dane County, but across the country, we know there are racial inequities across every single indicator for success. Semrin mentioned some of them. There are many more that we did not mention. For us to start, when we're talking about racial equity, we need to start with the ends in mind. So our goal is to eliminate racial inequities and increase success for everyone. And so thinking about the community level, having data and measurement that tracks what those indicators are and how they're changing over time. But it's not just at the community level. That what we know is, is that when we're talking about community conditions, government is but one slice of the pie, if you will, that you need to work with others in partnership. But where you have accountability is those things that are within your direct control. And so included in the addendum to the report is a proposed template for an action plan that we believe that in operationalizing racial equity, you have to have an action plan and concrete items that you will be able to track over time, did this get done? So those are the performance measures. Um, being able to say whether what you decided to do, you actually did, and what the impact of that. That's the, that's the performance measure. So I want to hold that at two different levels. We have community-level data, and we have, within Dane County, performance-level data. So we threw a lot of theory at you, and we want to give you sort of a concrete example of what this could look like. Um, we've been talking a little bit about Seattle, and the city of Seattle um, is in process right now of updating their racial equity indicators. So what I'm going to share is not done for them yet, but wanted to give you sort of a concrete way of what this might actually look like. What does all this add up to? So... Um, Bear with me while I bring up the website. There it goes. So this is uh, it's this version of it is actually not up and running yet, so you're getting a bit of a sneak peek. I know all of you read every word of the report, right? Um, there's a lot of words in it, but we wanted again to give you a sense of. What does all that add, add up to? So as you can see, this, if I can get this to work, this is for Seattle a set of indicators, education, development, housing, etc. And we'll just click on um, criminal justice. This website is an outward-facing website, not internal. And it is designed to be able to show community what the work is internally of government on addressing these set of issues. As Julie said, set within the context of what does that look like for the community as a whole. So if you 
come down in this particular section, what you end up with is data showing how those disparities play out across that particular area, right? So in criminal justice, there's confidence in police officers that's being tracked. There's arrest rates that are being tracked. So showing folks sort of high-level data of what that looks like in our community. Part of this is also an opportunity to educate folks in the community about what the differences and disparities in our community actually are. From there, there are two opportunities. The first is, what is government doing in this area? In this instance, what's the city doing? And the second is an opportunity for community to think about how they can get involved in that process or in that change. If you go to what the city of Seattle is doing, this is actually broken down by department, geography, and issue or indicator. So you can see there's a little map here that is a map of the city of Seattle. If you click on any of the, uh, the neighborhoods, it will actually pull up by that neighborhood what the city is doing around racial equity in that neighborhood. If you click on a department, it'll pull up a work plan for, for that department on the work that they are doing to achieve racial equity and how they're making progress. So I'm going to really quickly click on criminal justice again. And you can see there's uh, several pieces that are named here. Eliminate racial inequities and arrest rates, increase opportunities for employment, achieve racial equity in communities of color's confidence in a criminal justice system. If you click on one of them, it then pulls down what Julie was naming as performance measures. So for the, by department. So for the uh, Seattle Police Department, they're using department programs and projects to eliminate racial inequity, building racial equity in departmental policies. And on each of these, if you break, if you break them down, there's a specific action. There's the measure by which it's stating whether or not they've accomplished it and whether it's been done. And so all of this adds up to, as you imagine this out, is that it's an interactive opportunity between government itself and community about our collective health. How are we all doing and what is the government's role in actually helping to move that and inviting others in community, other institutions, to participate in that process. And now, if I can manage, I think I got it. You never know with me in technology. So what this looks like if you, in the addendum, if you want the quick snapshot of everything that's in the 50-page report that we gave, we gave you in the addendum, there's the racial equity action plan. And it is, in fact, in a plan, all the recommendations from the report. This is an example uh, specifically around economic prosperity. Um, and focusing on the county's role around workforce. And what you'll see, I know this may be a little bit difficult to read from the distance, but this, right, and so you have it in front of you. And so it goes community indicator, talking about looking at unemployment rates and what those disparities look like or household income. Then it gives an outcome. And in this example from the, from the action plan, it actually is workforce equity and departmental um, racial equity plans for the department. The, 
those who are accountable are department directors and thinking about hiring and promotion. And the performance measure is information that you already co co collect, which is do the demographics of the county reflect the hiring um, and the employees in county government? And then there's a uh, progress report section at the end for folks to report out on. And so if you go through that addendum, if you go through the, the plan itself, it breaks down all the recommendations and who's accountable and, and we have not filled in by what date, but given space for folks to hold that as a, a sense of information. We hope that gives you a, 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 at least a sense of how it's laid out and its intent. We're going to spend our remaining time very quickly walking through the five key recommendations. Um, and the first one, um, Julie talked about much of this in terms of looking at national best practice, but it's developing the infrastructure tools that are necessi necessary to increase Dane County's employees and residents' understanding of and ability to achieve racial equity. That sounds huge, but in fact, it is very doable. And it's one of the things we want to say in looking at this work nationally, that creating space, structure, a container, if you will, to hold these discussions and do this work actually is possible. And there are places around the country where people are seeing lots of progress, including right here in Dane County. And so our emphasis on this piece was how do we help create the infrastructure to sustain the ability to do this work, right? How do we actually create process that leads to meaningful outcome? We did, uh, in our analysis, we found some key things. One that was named was the need for greater leadership and accountability around this set of issues. While, and we'll show you a little bit of data, while many folks deeply believe that leadership has, is occurring within the county about leading for racial equity, there was repeatedly statements about the need for greater co coordination and more accountability. Um, in that way, the need for better structure um, and better coordination across departments in thinking about addressing these issues. Uh, there's definitely a need for deeper understanding and opportunities for skill building for employees. And finally, a deep need to make sure that the county was tapping into the expansive expertise of community and being able to do this work and address these issues. Just a couple slides showing, uh, these are from the survey. And what you'll see here is this is managers versus non-managers or managers versus staff. And Dane County, uh, the, the question was, Dane County leadership clearly communicating the importance of addressing racial disparities. What you'll see is that whether it's managers or staff, the overwhelming of majority of people say yes. County leadership is actually providing that kind of communication, but there's a significant difference between leadership and staff, rank and file staff. This sort of is an example of this by department. I'm familiar with my department's efforts to address racial disparities. This is the four largest departments, administration, human services, public health, and the sheriff's office. And again, you'll see a big difference in how much folks are actually holding what department, departmental efforts are, and it's just an opportunity to call out public health and the sheriff's office also for the great work that they've been doing in trying to center this 
in with their employees over the last few years. So um, one of the things that I think is also important just quickly in this is that it shows you actually that this, the ability in a very short period of time to make substantial progress in staff as a whole, understanding and feeling like they can move on these issues. This is from high to low from the survey of people's ability of understanding and moving on the work. 93% of those responding felt competent interactions with other races and cultures. 91% said they have a basic understanding of racial inequities. To be clear, that's, this is a third of employees responded uh, for the county as a whole. This number alone, we're talking that there's over 200 county employees who are saying not only they have an understanding, but they think it's critical we're examining this. And 66% uh, saying that they can identify examples with almost 60% saying, I'm trying to figure out how to do this in my job. Thus, part of the reason that folks are saying we need better coordination, stronger leadership, and accountability. Finally, only half say they actually have the tools they need to do it, and that's part of the reason why we're emphasizing the use of tools and the building of infrastructure. You all have a racial equity uh, uh, strategy team, and that team has been doing amazing work. It's part of the reason why we're here. Um, what we are recommending in our proposal is that you all think about how you both strengthen that and formalize that. And so uh, we'll come back to this, but we're strongly recommending that all county leadership and elected officials play an active role in the, the leadership team. Um, and I'll come back, we'll come back to that. We're also suggesting adding some teams to the existing team structure that would match our recommendations across five different areas. We're also recommending across the board training and use of tools. Last thing, this is phase two, and we're recognizing that it's essential that we build community support. Um, we're naming the need for community trainings, the need, the need to do a community survey asking very similar questions. And there's been places around the country where folks have done that. Really helpful in getting a sense of how community are holding these issues. And finally, we're suggesting the creation of a fund down the road that would actually support community in doing this work. Um, the kind of best national best practice on this is actually funding collaborations both within community and government in thinking about tackling some of these issues. So the second recommendation really focuses on the best practice around organized. So how do we actually partner uh, with community to take on these sets of issues? And so recommendation two is really focused on implementing strategies to ensure that the county is an effective and inclusive government that engages community. Um, so some of the key findings were, you know, folks in Dane County government were generally aware of efforts in their, their own departments to be more inclusive in outreach and public engagement. 51% um, of folks agree that their, that their department partners with other institutions and community, and 44% believe that the department seeks input and assistance from communities of color in decision making. So there is general awareness with the folks surveyed about efforts on, toward this end. 
And, um, and yet, you know, there was, there is no countywide policy on inclusive engagement. And, um, and, you know, to both, I think, Glenn's last point in the recommendations around infrastructure and, again, highlighting best practice, we know that there is a ton of community expertise at both the leadership level and community as well as the many points of contact that individuals have with community, uh, with government um, through service delivery. And so um, having a policy that, that focuses on inclusive engagement countywide is a, a first and very important next step uh, to ensure that communication is consistent, that methods are consistent, and that, that we're really um, leveraging the opportunity of service delivery and, um, and broader engagement to assess community input. Uh, also, really doing an assessment of current advisory groups within the county and ensuring that they reflect the diversity of the county. And finally, you know, we strongly advocate for pilot projects. So having an interdepartmental pilot project that allows, you know, the breaking down of silos and allows for us to really, for Dane County government, rather, to engage community using that comprehensive approach that, uh, that, that, the, that the ResJ team in particular will be responsible for coordinating. Recommendation three is focused on ensuring Dane County's communities of color share in the county's economic prosperity. I think that um, all of us are very familiar with the jobs, 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 right? Um, the, the notion around economic prosperity. And um, we know that, for example, people of color are 14% of the total workforce, 324 employees. And there's a large disparity, however. That's nearly reflective of the community of color population in Dane County, and yet there is a deep disparity in terms of who holds management positions within county government and who, who are frontline staff. Um, and in addition to that, we know that less than 1% of total county vendor payments are directed to businesses owned by people of color. And finally, through our surveying, both in the actual survey uh, that, was, that was administered to Dane County staff, as well as through the many numerous interviews and focus groups, there were repeated concerns about current workforce efforts, and in particular about enforcement of affirmative action and equal opportunity policies. So our, and we know, again, just going a bit into racial demographics, this is, again, of the largest four departments. The information is also in the report, and there's some diversity, but again, if Departments were collecting greater data on manager versus non-manager positions. We'd see a little bit different spread here. Um, there's also folks generally see, believe that their department reflects the diversity of Dane County, um, and yet we know that there are still gaps. And so um, part of operationalizing is also taking that work on. And we really... Uh, honed in on both then workforce equity, so thinking about job classifications, targeting recruitment and retention, retention strategies, addressing barriers, whether they're perceived or actual, around the employee handbook and online application system, and planning for retirements, looking forward to retirements in the coming years, and how can we begin to coordinate and pipeline folks to those positions, and also 
where are the job positions where core, a core competency around racial equity makes a lot of sense and can be included. So workforce equity is a primary piece of the actions around ensuring economic prosperity. And then contracting equity is, a, is another very important piece that we know from national best practice. And uh, first and foremost, just reviewing the policy and practice to ensure it's consistent with national best practice. So um, the, we have two more, and then we're going to open it up to conversation and questions. Um, this next one um, clearly is a central one for you all, and you've been doing a lot of work around addressing this set of issues, largely driven by community demand over the last year. Um, but it's to ensure all neighborhoods and people are safe and that racial disproportionalities in the criminal justice system are eliminated. So just quickly... Um, what, in our findings, what we found is that there are striking disparities in the criminal justice system, and you all know this and have seen this in the, the work and the data that you all have collected. Uh, there's a need for greater data coordination, alignment, and transparency. And we heard this repeatedly. Uh, it was also not only echoed from um, uh, by county employees, but clearly county employees were representing what they have heard from communities. Um, criminal just, justice efforts in the county have included deep work by the Criminal Justice Council, which is ongoing, uh, particularly the Racial Disparity Subcommittee. And one of our strong recommendations is that that work be aligned with the work of the racial equity plan being proposed in this analysis. Um, and that models are developed like the Community Restorative Court. So there's some great work that's happening and moving um, or in process. And really our overwhelming recommendation was how do we pull these things into greater alignment. Uh, so here's our recommendations. There's a uh, uh, Dane County Task Force on Racial Disparity Report uh, in 2009, and one of them is that we're simply saying implement those recommendations. Um, there's ex uh, recommendation around exp expanded training. There's some of this that's already in process but clearly looking at implicit bias, um, problem-solving strategies, conflict mediation techniques, et cetera, um, that really need to look at the diversity of the criminal justice staff for the county as a whole. It is one of the departments that where we see um, the smallest amount of representation for communities of color. Um, and this last one, which we heard repeatedly, was really the need for a deep review of prosecutorial discretion. So in our... Um, so our final recommendation uh, is really around ensuring that all residents have healthy outcomes. And I think very similar to uh, the d data we know in criminal justice, the health disparities in Dane County are um, very alarming. Um, and they, health, we know, impacts every aspect of our lives. Um, and so really thinking about, and also deep kudos to the, let me see if I can get this right, the public health Dane County, Dane Madison 
Dane, Dane County Public Health Department has been doing an incredible amount of work on this issue um, and really leaders not only in the county but in, in, in the country um, in thinking about the disaggregation of data and development of a framework that really focuses in on uh, how uh, structural these issues are and, um, and so being able to really surface a strategic entry point which is food access. We know obesity and, and hunger tend to be two sides of the same coin and access to food is critical in bridging the gap on both of those issues. So uh, recommendation five, ensuring all residents have healthy life outcomes. Um, that really includes developing strategies to improve access to food in communities, using a racial equity the racial equity tool to improve upon existing policies and ensure that, that data is integrated. Training of frontline health staff on policy updates to nutrition standards. And again, strengthening community partnerships. We know that there are uh, really sound, uh, strong community organizations leading efforts around food equity and uh, healthy food access, and, par and partnering with them will only uh, you know, continue further Dane County's ability to affect um, these sets of issues. So I want to close out with um, thinking about our values and to name the reality that when you're thinking about the, the history of the United States, that there is some tension there. That when we think about values in the United States, and you ask people, there's great research on this, people will consistently say things like we have values for equality and justice. And in fact, in our founding documents, things like all men are created equal. Thinking about that from a historical perspective, clearly, when Thomas Jefferson wrote that, he meant something different than what we're talking about today. And yet that value of equality is so fundamental and so, you know, really sort of at the, at the foundation of what we're doing to reflect on the fact that we, the opportunity for us is to align our actions with our values, that we need to transform our institutions so that, in fact, we are living the, the, the value of equality on a day-in, day-out basis. Other thing, historical perspective, uh, Gettysburg Address. Lincoln, writing the, the Gettysburg Address and talked about government and said, government of the people, by the people, and for the people. I think the data that we have presented and the recommendations that we have made, that it's clear that government has the potential to fulfill this role. And it's, uh, and it's an interesting historical reality that it's taken us as long to get to this point as we have. But the reality is, is that the opportunity is now, and we cannot let go of that opportunity. So in closing, want to share uh, next steps for you as a Board of Supervisors. There's four things that we would like to emphasize or to propose for you to consider uh, most immediately. The first thing is that we recommend you adopting this re the recommendations co contained in this report. Across the country, we have seen elected officials provide leadership on racial equity by taking action, providing direction for, for operations. Uh, the second uh, proposal is that the county board, county executive, and constitutional officers collaboratively elevate the racial equity strategic leadership team. Um, we think it's essential that 
elected leadership is actually helping both to push this work and elevate it and helping to think about what it means to coordinate it across the county. The third thing is around the establishment of infrastructure. And there's detailed recommendations around the establishment of infrastructure. We are really clear that we are proposing some additional work and that your existing staff are doing amazing jobs and that in order for us to operationalize equity, have to be clear that not only are we transforming what we're doing right now, but that there's an additional workload. And so from a county-wide perspective, taking that seriously and providing funding for the work that needs to take place. And our fourth proposal is that you all adopt the use of a racial equity tool in your 2017 budgeting process. Um, just briefly, City of Seattle, as Julie mentioned, been doing this now for almost eight years. And it's done a couple of things. One is, is that it's literally changed hundreds of policy and practice practices within local government. Um, from the small to how are we doing and making sure we're meeting the immediate needs of community members in a fair and inclusive way to the truly significant in what does it really mean for us to center the health and success of our communities as a whole. So this piece, the second piece to that that we think is absolutely uh, critical is it is a practice. It is an opportunity to make this question of what does an equitable and healthy community look like when we think about issues of race, not something we add on, but a core piece of who and what government is and does. And so uh, we want to encourage you, I think just in closing, to seriously um, consider adopting the analysis as a whole, but especially these next four steps, um, and recognize that this is something that your county staff that the community has repeatedly asked for in terms of being able to drive to a deeper level of commitment and success on these set of issues. Um, and to uh, just really name, I guess in closing, that your leadership on this work is critical to its success. Um, we've seen again um, across the nation that when leadership is willing to step up, name this, take the bold action of engaging not only internally employees in this work, but externally their communities in these conversations, that we can get to different places, um, that we can see actually meaningful outcome. And so just want to thank you for your time. Um, I want to thank the board, and I want to thank, I have to name Lisa again for her wonderful support in actually helping making this happen. And uh, we'd love to hear your, your questions and comments. Okay, I just want to um, mention one thing before we move on to questions, and that's that I neglected to thank the departments and the constitutional officers for all their work on this. We really couldn't have had this analysis done if, if we didn't have the kind of support from all the departments, from the county executive, and from the other constitutional officers um, to get the analysis done. And I just wanted to say thank you to all of them for that. Um, and 
um, we'll open it up for questions. I just want to mention we, it's 10 after 6, and we, uh, we have invited folks to, to mingle afterwards for a reception before our 7 o'clock meeting. So we'll have about 20 minutes for questions. I have one registration, which I'd like to leave a few minutes for at the end of um, the, the time to be able to have that person be able to make a few comments. So um, the first question is from Supervisor Baird. Thank you for your work and um, presenting. I actually have sort of two questions. The first, um, looking at uh, the recommendation number four, actually, when you mentioned it earlier, I wrote down this question. So some of us have been slowly starting to work on this effort. And do you have um, advice or, you know, examples, perhaps, and perhaps you can forward them to us, of Part of the work, like, now this is going to be my opinion and it's going to be anecdotal, but part of the work that Dane County does includes a lot of environmental works. So we expand bike paths and we improve the lakes. And these are wonderful things that we do, but it also, sometimes I feel that if we were truly to have a racial equity lens, it would leave some of the important things that we do behind. And how do you prepare for that? Because I think there's colleagues on the county board and staff in county government that, you know, are a little worried. And, you know, me on the other side, I'm like, yes, you're going to be left behind. Maybe I should be a little more polite when I talk about that. But do you have examples of how do you go about doing that, knowing that there's going to be some things that don't, you know, fall, come to the top? Yeah. When uh, Seattle started using the racial equity tool, it was very much sort of uh, piecemeal, if you will, during the budget process, looking at individual decisions. But what you're naming is really the reality that there's a cumulative impact as well, sort of the collective of who's benefiting and who's burdened within a, within a budget process. Typically, we don't have that sort of examination. And so I think that one of the things that for us to think about is that um, the model that we're suggesting really is looking at the, um, and given that this is in response to the budget question, might seem contradictory, but in general, we are not talking about this from a scarcity perspective, mm -hmm. that we're looking at it from a perspective of the changes that are made that will benefit communities of color actually are beneficial across the board, that there are costs to racial equity, and that we do not need to think about it from a perspective of some people winning and some people losing, that we have countless examples of the reality that when you change policy and practice, that we might target it and it might make improvements that are really deep and meaningful for some communities, but that collectively we, they benefit as well. Getting back to your question around budget, there are sometimes hard choices that need to be made. And, you know, one of the things that um, I think CSI is, has been so critical in thinking about messaging and communicating and how you build political will so that it's not seen like, oh, we're losing our bike path, but that, in fact, we are seeing the benefits of a budget that promotes racial equity for everyone. Love. And I just... One con and happy to send you more examples. And you're naming the real work. I mean, just want to name that, right? It's, these are the, the hard conversations about what really is the collective benefit to our community, right? One of the grand challenges of government is actually, in my mind, getting all of us, for example, in Dane County, to hold that our collective interest has to be at the center of our conversations, not just our individual interests, right? And so 
I'll give you one example that Julie named just quickly, which is um, in the city of Seattle, uh, a lot of conversation around the fact that we were uh, who participated in government did not reflect the demographics of the city. And to be honest, nowhere close to the demographics of the city. And so there's a lot of conversation about, well, should we put more money into outreach and engagement into communities who historically have not participated? But if we do, we're going to have to take that money from someplace else. And what we found, ultimately, is we made a commitment to actually taking resources that were general engagement dollars and specifically targeting, targeting them towards communities of color and immigrant and refugee communities. And what we found was there was not a difference in turnout for white communities. That actually sending out a few less flyers did not make a big difference in terms of who showed up. But in fact, targeting specific strategies and investing in them for immigrant communities and for communities of color meant that we had a significant return on investment. And so in one planning process in one part of the city alone, we brought in, in over a three-month process 2,000 new people into a planning process, many of them folks who had never engaged in, with government before. It was their first time. That collective benefit of bringing in a larger representation of our community meant better planning, better feedback, better ideas. And so it meant a shift in resources, but the outcome ultimately was better across the board, if that makes that makes sense. I have a question, if I may, please. Thank you. Um, so in another area, um, dealing with uh, recognition three, will you talk a little bit about jobs? Um, so again, this is anecdotal, right? This is not my job. To, to, I'm not the Department of Administration. But um, I've, my experience in other parts where I've worked is that um, even when we correctly name a job and say you need these skills and we don't overinflate the skills, people in our college university town that have many more qualifications apply for the job and has there been experiences or conversations about not give, if you only need a bachelor's degree for a job but people with a PhD apply, people go, well look they have a PhD so even though you don't say PhD, the PhD person always when? Because we're so gosh darn impressed. And is there information or studies that can say, you know what, don't give extra bonus points to the PhD? Yeah, yeah. No, the Government Alliance on Race and Equity has a public sector jobs best practices paper. And what you're naming is exactly what we found, that putting in qualifications that are not related to the job uh, means that we disproportionately hire people like people with PhDs. And that isn't necessarily the best thing for a job. And so thinking, and oftentimes when we're talking about uh, recruitment and retention, what we do is we think about it at the very end. So it's like, oh, we'll put a person of color on the um, interview process. What we say is really push back to the very beginning when you're doing hiring, that incorporating racial equity into job descriptions, that it's not about whether you have, a, for many jobs, it's not about whether you have a PhD or not, but what's your relationship to community? That if you have worked within community-based organizations and you have a solid skill set, that's not about having a PhD, and that can be incorporated into the job description as well. 
But you're asking all the right questions. That's all the right questions. Supervisor Stubbs has a question. Thank you, Madam Chair. Welcome back, Julie and Glenn. Appreciate all of your work. Um, my question is around recommendation number two, um, as well as recommendation number three. One of my concerns has been how we fully engage community. Um, we certainly have put together an advisory group in the past after we had the task force, and it was an implementation team. It was actually advisory to constitutional officers, and we found that it was a failure because many of the community leaders felt as if though their input was going to make huge differences. But when you have elected constitutional officers, they're able to determine their budgets. And my concern is I want to make sure we're not setting up another advisory board where, in fact, community is misled in their opportunity and the advisory and exactly what they can do for a recommendation. I did hear you talk about a diversity county um, advisory group. But I'm wondering what can we do, give examples how, how we can avoid that kind of failure where, in fact, we're being very honest, right. very transparent, and being very real because I don't want to waste community time and I don't want to waste my time. I want their input to be useful and go beyond the recommendation. So can you give us an example of what you've done in Seattle or Oregon or New York and those aspects? Um. I so appreciate that. Um, government has a way of con confusing outreach and engagement all the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it, and government needs to share information. It's critical. It's part of the role of government. But telling folks that you want to have a discussion when you're the only one talking at them is not a discussion. Absolutely. Right. And so one of the things we recommend, and this, this national practice around this as well, is just really thinking about coming up with a comprehensive policy around what is engagement. And to, uh, to your point, being absolutely explicit, number one, with community, about what we're doing when we are actually contacting them. Are we reaching out to share information? Or are we reaching out to have a conversation? And for specific examples, um, there's some really great examples, um, New York, California, many places, around participatory democracy, right? And the one is participatory budgeting. I don't know how many folks have, have, heard, have heard of this, but it's really getting real about decision, giving, making shared decision-making, not just simply having a conversation or advice, but being really clear about, and it doesn't mean asking the community simply to make all the decisions, it means giving the community real clarity on what elements they are able to make decisions on and holding to them. And those processes have been wildly successful. Again, not just in, in meeting that immediate need of like our, the folks who we're engaging with actually, you know, feel like it's legitimate, but actually in fundamentally shifting people's perception and trust in government, right? That at the core of this is this whole question um, that we believe is deeply rooted in the question of racial equity, which is, is government for us, by us, of us? And there's a huge opportunity in these conversations to get at it. So I would, I'm happy to send um, some, some additional examples, but I think that piece about really thinking about where are the, the shared decision-making opportunities, um, and there's definitely some great examples around budgeting around the country that have been really effective in saying we, there's certain budget items that you all have to hold. But there is a significant amount of government budget that is actually has 
if you all think about it, is much more discretionary. And giving community the opportunity to really think about where those monies should go can be a really profound opportunity in doing that. So, yeah. We have one more question from Supervisor. Supervisor Dye. Thank you. Uh, my question is related to the racial equity tool. And I, first off, I was having a technological issue, so maybe that is the answer. But finally, when I found the link, it's taking me to the City of Portland's website. Um, and when we had previously been talking about this tool and when I had originally read the port, report but wasn't able to access it, uh, I was thinking that there would be some at least initial identification of these are the sorts of questions that we should be thinking in our head when we are making a budgeting decision, and that isn't what I'm seeing on this link. So I'm wondering if either I'm in the wrong spot or there's something else I could look at or if you could talk a little bit about how to actually use what I'm seeing here on the screen. Yes. Would love to. And there's two different uh, sort of ways that you can think about a racial equity tool. Government Alliance on Race and Equity um, has a um, sort of a generic, if you will, tool that when we hear from jurisdictions, we want to use a racial equity tool. One of the things that we highly, highly recommend is do not start from scratch. Don't say, oh, we're going to develop our own, because inevitably with process, it can be a year or two years trying to develop your own racial equity tool, use one, whether it's the Government Alliance on Race and Equity tool, which I'm happy to send to you, City of Seattle, Multnomah County, uh, City of Minneapolis, lots of um, example tools out there that, I'm um, sorry about the link, it sounds like, um, but it, it take, some, it take an existing tool, pilot it, and then based on your experience, you will know whether you need to customize it. One of the things thinking about use of a racial equity tool is, is that it is a skill that needs to be built. And just um, from a um, uh, sort of thinking about Seattle's experience, first time we used a racial equity tool in the budget process, it was not a pretty thing. Um, that nearly a, a large percent of the budget issue papers that got submitted, the departments and finance managers had submitted them with the response being not applicable when it comes to racial equity. Well, it was very, um, you know, it's disheartening because we know that the decisions that were being made did impact racial equity. Truth is, is that in that moment in time, uh, much as uh, uh, some of us may have liked to have sent those back and said, try again. We were in the, you know, the experience of having to cut, it was during the recession, $50 million from the city's budget. So we weren't able to do that. But over the next years, we did increase capacity building, really focusing on skills, so that next time, next biennial budget, they came back better. So thinking about it over the course of time, happy to give you a number of examples. Thank you. Thanks so much, Julie. I would appreciate that. Supervisor Weigleitner, I'm, I'm trying to um, I'm trying to give time for the two people that have registered to speak. To do you mind if we? Um, okay, I'm sorry. I just want to make sure that they have a, an opportunity to speak to us before we get to the reception. Um, okay, I have two. I now have two registrations. The first is from Karen Reese, who's representing Nehemiah Justified Anger, and she wishes to speak. Oh, she just left. Okay, maybe there'll be time. <laughs> um, I'll let Eric Upchurch come up while we're trying to see if we can catch her. He's um, wishing to speak in support.
Hello, everyone. So um, real quickly, I just want to say that I, I do appreciate um, the work that's gone in to uh, these recommendations. This initiative is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's needed. Um, phenomenal. I'm here to speak to some of the points that we've heard already um, and to emphasize a few of my own. Um, there, we don't have any shortage of wonderful initiatives and very well intentions. What we're lacking is results, and of course you all don't need to hear that. Um, but I want to highlight something that um, Supervisor Stubbs mentioned. I really do appreciate that. There's a disconnect here between um, what we desire to happen and what is actually happening. And our goal in any effort, in any initiative, is to attempt to close that gap. And still we see different results. And we tend to get very excited about projects and committees and thick packets of paper that, you know, stay thick packets of paper. Um, so we've, we've heard that, and that's great. Um, but there's this disconnect, and I want to focus on this disconnect. Um, we keep mentioning the community, connecting to the community, hearing the community, and how are we taking these recommendations and then translating that into real live applications and real live results. How have we done that? We have a lot of people that have uh, been a part of these initiatives for some time, and um, what are our results? What are the applications of these thick packets of paper? Um, when we think of the disconnect between initiative and application, um, I think of situations like um, how we want community to be involved in decisions and to have control and power and teeth in decisions and real discretion and decision-making power, um, but we still have things that happen um, like, you know, the, uh, the discretion or the real power are in the hands of folks that are more or less disconnected from community or see themselves as disconnected from the community. And I don't, I don't know how much time I have. If you just could take, you could have a couple more minutes. But a couple more just, minutes, okay. Just, I'll, I'll do my best to be quick. I'd like to give us everybody an opportunity to talk to each other, too, out in the hall. Okay, so I you'll have an opportunity to chat with all of us out there, too. But if you could wrap up in a couple minutes, that would be good. Okay. All right. Um, I didn't win any awards for being brief, so my apologies. <laughs> um, so when we think of the disconnect between uh, community power, and I, I think of situations where the power is in the hands of people like officers or uh, government officials, city officials, um, and how if we can bridge that gap of power and give the community power, um, then we would have less situations like the tragic death uh, the murder of Tony Robinson. Um, we would have less situations like people being ticketed without their awareness, and then that results in the warrants, and that resulting in the, them losing their license. Um, uh, we, uh, Brandy Grayson, um, tickets, wasn't aware of it, lost the license, and that endangers her ability to care for her foster children. That impacts uh, foster daughter's daughter and their ability to survive here. Uh, so there are trickle effects, and how can we, the community is aware of these, and so how, how are we muddling this process, and how can we uh, simplify this process? And my um, 
my recommendation would be to completely bridge that gap. We have so many people that are coming up here saying, let's connect to community, let's connect to community. And I get that, that the need for that language because we're in offices, but we are community. And we have to see ourselves as if we're community. And then there's the, so there's the need for us to see ourselves as community and then the need to empower the community. Things like com complete community control over the police mitigates our need to have these thick pack packets of paper over and over and over again with zero results. Having true community control and true community power will essentially make our lives easier and give us the results that we need because we won't have to do this, this interpretation of recommendations and then end up getting it wrong as we always do. Lastly, we're in a room full of people that really, really, really want to do something good and they really don't want to see negative impacts in the community and yet and still we've had a group of homeless people, uh, people who are experiencing homelessness be displaced. I'm under the assumption that that's not something, we, we don't want to see more displacement. We don't want to make it harder for service providers to find their clients. We don't want to do that, but that's something that happened. And I imagine that if the community was in complete control of that decision-making process, that would not have happened. So how can we make our jobs easier? Um, the, the easiest answer and the, the simplest answer, if we pay attention to the trend of how we're addressing these issues, more and more we're engaging the community. More and more we're engaging the community. So how do we, how do we work smarter, not harder? And that's giving empowering the community in a very, very real way and, uh, you know, putting teeth to our desires. That's all. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Um, there's no more. Um, we're going to wrap up so that we can go out into the hallway to the reception and chat with each other about this. We'll have the opportunity to talk to our consultants out there, and if individuals want to talk to supervisors, we'll all be out there, too. So just to wrap up the business of the meeting, on future meeting dates, we'll be meeting again on September 17th before the next county board meeting. And is there a motion to adjourn? Moved by Dye, seconded by Baird. All those in favor say aye. Opposed say no. The executive committee is adjourned.